This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Thanks for joining us today for our weekly look at the markets and stocks to watch. My guest is Barron's Deputy Editor, Ben Levison, and we are watching a lot of stocks as earnings season kicks into high gear. The markets are up today, oil prices are down, the Fed is in a quiet period ahead of its next meeting, but we are not. So let's get started. Ben, how are you? I'm doing great, Lauren. All right. I thought we would start today with a discussion of bubbles. Investors have fallen in love with anything tied to artificial intelligence, so much so that they bid up the biggest stocks in the NASDAQ this year until they accounted for nearly 50% of the NASDAQ composite. Last week, in accordance with an obscure rule, NASDAQ actually rebalanced the index to diminish the weighting of these stocks. So I have two questions for you, Ben. Are these big seven stocks, we're talking Apple, Nvidia, Microsoft, and others, in what we call bubble territory? And will a rebalance give a lift to the rest of the market or just create a new excuse to buy these stocks? Let's start with the bubble theory. Um, I, I don't think they're in a bubble yet, um, as crazy as that may sound. Uh, they're, they're not cheap for sure. Um, but uh, if you look at those seven in particular, they're, they're kind of being driven by, by different things. Uh, and NVIDIA, it's, uh, it's clear that... Um, you know, it, it's really this, uh, it's new chips, uh, as, which are devoted to AI, really have been a game changer for the stock. I mean, the stock was kind of uh, left for dead uh, late last year. Um, and when the the AI stuff happened, uh, it, you know, it was all of a sudden it became this thing that lifted the stock. But what was, what's been clear about it is that um, this isn't just an idea of like, oh, AI is going to give a lift to NVIDIA. It, it did give that lift. Um, and so now it's, it's a question of how, how much, how many more of these chips can they sell? How long is this going to, to last? But it really has uh, changed the story for NVIDIA. And, and if you go through all the different stocks, you start getting, uh, you know, you have different things that are there. AI is a big part of it for, you know, for Microsoft and, and ChatGPT. And, you know, perhaps there's some issues there as uh, searches for ChatGPT are now falling and the excitement over it's a, a little different. But they, all these companies have different kinds of stories, whether it's related to AI or, or to something else that has helped push them higher. You know, it, it's so asking whether it's it's a bubble and I don't think it's a bubble. Can they keep going up? Um, not, I don't, not as much as they have. I, I just think that gets difficult after a while. Well, it's kind of the law of large numbers. Exactly. I mean, it's much harder for Apple, say, to get from three million or three, sorry, <laughs> three trillion uh, right. to, to six trillion um, than it was from one point five to three. Um, but, uh, you know, there, there's still, I think, you know, re reasons to own these stocks right now. Um, just they have so much momentum behind them. And it's it's hard to see a reason um, why you should, uh, you know, sell them at this point. Um, I, I think that this, this, the second question is, um, I, I think, probably more important, um, whether this is going to the rebalance will give a lift to the rest of the market. Um, it was interesting to see that uh, when this rebalance was announced, that was on a, late on a Friday night, uh, uh, the Monday after it, that was uh, last Monday, so the 10th, um, 
you know, these stocks all dropped except for Meta Platforms, um, which there was some news on that, and I can't remember what it was at this point. Um, threads, the, my dear, Threads. Oh, Threads. Gosh, how <laughs> could I forget that? Yes, Threads was doing very, very well, um, signing up lots of people. Uh, so so Meta finished up that day, but everybody else finished down uh, more than a percent, I believe. And so you did have this one-day reaction to it, and then it's as if it never it never happened. Um, but, I, but I do think that uh, we do need to see the buying go into other areas areas of the market. And we were starting to see that a, a bit, though it's, you know, it's cooled down a little since uh, um, the middle of last week. Um, and, but you want to see not only other kinds of tech stocks, like smaller tech stocks um, start to do well, but you want to see other parts of the market. And we are starting to see that in some cyclical sectors. Um, and so you'd want to see that uh, continue. Because um, I don't think these stocks can do the heavy lifting all of the time. Not forever, certainly. So I mentioned that the Fed is in a quiet period ahead of next week's FOMC meeting. That means that various Fed officials are not out giving speeches. The futures market is putting 97% odds, that's pretty close to 100, on Fed officials lifting interest rates by another quarter percentage point when they meet next week. Tighter monetary policy, of which interest rate hikes are a big part, seems to be working. Inflation has fallen from 9% to 3% over the past year. So my question to you is, where does the Fed go from here and where should it go from here? Since inflation is not quite down to 2%, their target, but has definitely diminished. Yeah, I mean, it, it's diminished and it's uh, it diminished by a lot, at least on the the headline number. Um, you know, in the uh, in up and down Wall Street this past weekend, I, I looked at that drop, which uh, you had a uh, drop from 9.1% to 3%, so that's 6.1 percentage points. And um, you don't get these kind of drops very often. The last time you had a 6 percentage point decline was in 2009. Um, and that was uh, when it was around the great financial crisis. It's usually around recessions that you get these these types of number of declines. Um, the last time that you had a decline from over nine percent to someplace around three was actually back in the, I think it was uh, I want to say 1952. Uh, it's been a long time. Um, so I, I don't think we want to uh, um, downplay the progress that the Fed has made. Of course, we still have a much higher core rate, and that seems to be a bit stickier. Um, and so I think the market is correct in pricing in that uh, that, that rate cut in July. Um, I, I think we should take the Fed at its word that we're going to get at least one more after that until uh, we see a reason uh, that you know that shouldn't happen. Um, and uh, you know it, it's it's going to be something to watch. I mean I think the the big issue here, of course, is where does inflation go next? I mean we've had this. The, the market always cares about. Uh, um, it's more about the direction than the level. Um, and so, yes, 3% is higher than 2 and the core is much higher. But as long as it keeps falling, the market should be fine with it. I think the big risk is going to be that it doesn't, uh, it doesn't continue to fall. Um, and that, uh, and, and the reasons to think that might be the case, uh, some of that is just uh, because a lot of these big inflation jumps that we had um, post-COVID, uh, we're going to lap them. So you're not going to have these, uh, the, the base effects are not going to be quite the same. Um, and you also have other issues out there um, where we're starting to see um, you know, food commodity prices are going up and that could lead to, to more food inflation. Um, you've seen uh, housing uh, start to stabilize and tick up and that could cause inflation uh, to move higher and services uh, inflation is still pretty sticky um, as are wages. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, 
I think that there's a lot of hope that inflation will keep doing what it's doing and, and, and easing. Um, but I think we do have to pay attention to um, to, to these under other numbers to see uh, if the um, you know, the the core and whatnot uh, to make sure that that downward trend continues because the Fed is going to keep hiking until um, it, it, it sees a progress in these. And if that progress would stop, I think that the hikes might have to come even, even uh, you know, might have to pick up a little more or at least go longer than they had intended. You know, anybody who sees rates at 6% or am I ahead of myself there? No, I, th- I think there are some people who uh, think that you do have to get that high. Um, you know, these are numbers that actually in the past aren't, weren't, ridiculous um you know they're they're very normal i think we've been kind of uh um spoiled the wrong word but you know it's we've become used to this very low rate policy that the fed uh, had in place since the financial crisis um and uh forgotten what normal looks like in some ways um right at least since the financial crisis right um and uh, you know and also we've been so used to a Fed that uh, has been willing to cut rates to support the, the stock market. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, those kind of days are long gone and we'll have to see. I mean, there was uh, one chart that was going around this morning of just uh, M2 to, to GDP. And, um, you know, they make the argument that uh, um, when uh, there, there's a certain level, you know, when uh, M2 is, is too high relative to GDP. That's so the money supply. That's the money supply, right. And it's, it's, it's still way too high um, relative to GDP based on, on this chart, based on history, which would suggest there's a lot more tightening that needs to happen. And we'll have to see, you know, you, you see a lot of these charts where people throw around relationships and are, are the relationships real? I don't know, but we'll have, these are things to pay attention to, to see if inflation, even if we're in a downturn now, is this uh, a stickier inflation than we've been used to? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's a good point also that that people can torture numbers to show any relationship. Yes. They may or may not be relevant. Lies, but, damn lies, and statistics. And statistics. But what is relevant is that taking inflation down from three to two is going to be a lot harder. That is correct. All right, one more macro topic before we get to this week's earnings. What is ailing the U.S. dollar? Last week, the dollar had its worst week in eight months. The currency supposedly is falling because the Fed is getting close to the end of rate hikes. We'll see about that. Is there anything else going on here that investors need to know about? Well, I think one of the things that people need to remember about currencies is like, yes, they do trade off of differentials in growth and in interest rates. And so when the Fed, it, when when investors are kind of thinking, okay, this, the Fed is going to stop raising rates, but the ECB and Japan are going to have to keep raising them, you know, that, that differential is going to hurt the dollar. Um, but the other thing people have to remember in terms of the dollar is that because it is this global reserve currency, it does react to risk off and risk on in a pretty big way. And so you, you saw this you really, you know, it was very strong um, through all of uh, 2022, um, and um, as the as this bear market unfolded, um, and it, it um, you know that was kind of this risk uh, risk off period that we had that made the dollar very strong, um, and this year it started off um, very uh, very weak, which is I think more about risk on, and that lasted for basically December into February, and then it's gone sideways since then. And I think people debated whether this was just a bear market rally or not. But now we're seeing the dollar fall again. And I think it's really just a response to 
investors getting more confident in the stock market rally um, that uh, a recession, if one's coming, it's not here yet. We're going to see uh, uh, stocks continue to go up. High yield bond spreads are still tight. Um, and, and so all these things say, hey, you know what? We're not scared right now. The VIX says that as well. The VIX is down at, the, at around 13 and change or something like that. And all these things point to a risk on environment where there's not much fear. And I think that is one reason the dollar is finally weakening after really trading in a range since February. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But not a long-term source of worry. No, I, I mean, I think everyone likes to look at the dollar and say, oh, it's reserve currency is threatened. And, um, you know, there that day is going to come. But right now you're seeing the dollar trade in a in ranges that are very much the historical norm. Um, it, it, if anything, it was this dollar's spike out of the um, it had been in a range really since if we go back to just looking at charts since 2015 from 2015 until um, the early part of April of 2022, um, the dollar was in a very tight range, um, really between 90 and 100. And then it was this breakout to almost, uh, it was about 115. That was kind of the abnormal thing. That was a breakout from this very long range that uh, it had had. And now it's falling, only falling back into it. If it breaks under 100, we're only back in this old range that we had. Um, for that uh, seven year period. And then, you know, it really, it's when it breaks under 90 that um, we'll start talking about more weakness, but even that is kind of in the historical range too. Um, and so I think it's, um, it's more about, uh, you know, just watching, you know, these historical ranges, there will be this day that we have, um, have to worry about the dollar losing its uh, reserve currency status, but I don't think we're there yet. You know, this whole conversation reminds me that when you look at a chart of any asset price, you really want to take a long-term look because yeah. it, can, it can be so misleading to look at the last year or even the last five years. Right. And, you know, they change, um, they can change rapidly just based on, um, uh, you know, whatever event to that time. But uh, those the moves are sometimes just noise. Um, and, and so it'll be interesting to see what happens to the dollar as it breaks, uh, you know, um, as, as it does start to go back under 100 and, and how it trades. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. It, uh, um, yeah, I, I'm not going to worry until 90. And for now, it's going to be, um, you know, a, a weak dollar, if this continues, should be good for commodity prices, for material stocks, can be good for companies that do business overseas. Um, and the one problem it could uh, create is that uh, a, a, a lower dollar is going to cause uh, input inflation uh, some inflation pressures uh, just because things that we buy from overseas are going to be more expensive. Um, right. So we'll have to keep an, keep an eye on that impact. All right. Let's move on to earnings. Earnings season is in full swing this week. The big banks kick things off Friday. J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, and Citi with some excellent second quarter reports. Most analysts and strategists are expecting an underwhelming earnings season. They've been very downbeat. Could they be wrong, do you think? Yeah, they they could definitely be wrong. Um, the um, you know these numbers got ratcheted down a lot, um, and the expectations are are pretty low. Um, the uh, um, you know it's uh, they, they, the the market just isn't expecting much, and so I think you could see um, a little bit of uh, you know I, I think you could see the numbers coming better. We certainly saw that from the banks. 
um, you know, JP Morgan uh, beat, uh, this is coming from Credit Suisse numbers. Uh, so JP Morgan beat by 25%, Wells Fargo beat by 9.8%, Citigroup beat by 5.7%. Um, and uh, they all had stronger net, incre- uh, net interest income um, than anyone uh, thought they would. Um, and, you know, that's, it's an early sign that uh, the expectations might be too low. I think one of the things we're going to have to watch is, um, the stocks themselves and to see if uh, the, you know, the the bar has been lowered, but is the market now expecting uh, beats uh, of a certain size? And could that be a problem? That was actually put out there by someone following uh, Pepsi's uh, great earnings last week. Um, they had a big beat, stock went up, but has it raised the bar now for things like Coca-Cola and other staples that if they can't produce a similar type of beat, could those stocks fall? Um, and I think it's something that we're going to have to watch out for. But when you look at just the banks, I mean, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo had really strong numbers. J.P. Morgan was well ahead of the estimates. Um, that was again the, the net interest income. But they also had um, strong trading results. Um, and Wells Fargo is also looking good. Um, you know, it's it's been better. It's cheaper than J.P. Morgan. Uh, one analyst over at Seaport Global um, thinks that uh, there's a lot of good news that has yet to be priced into to Wells Fargo. Um, and so, you know, that the banks have done great. We're going to see, as you said, we'll get Morgan Stanley. They're you know kind of a boring one, um, but uh, you know we're going to we're going to keep getting these numbers coming in early this week. So let's spend a moment on Goldman. It has been in the news a lot lately. Much of the news has been troubling. Is there any reason to expect an upside surprise when the company reports on Wednesday? Well, according to reports out there, Goldman is really working hard to make sure that they can they can get one. Um, there was a an interesting Bloomberg article, and I, you know, touting the competition, but this was a great article. But right, when they do good work, it's fine. Yeah, exactly. You know, we got to give credit where credit's due. Um, you know, they were talking to a bunch of analysts. They were looking at the the revisions for Goldman Sachs. Revisions, uh, the, the estimates have been coming down very fast. Um, Goldman apparently, uh, according to this article, has been out there talking to analysts uh, and saying, telling them that this is going to be a bad quarter. Um, basically ensuring that they're going to bring those numbers down. They quoted uh, Mike Mayo, who is uh, um, a Wells Fargo analyst who's you know very respected on the street, saying this is likely the worst quarter since David Solomon became the CEO. Uh, there's probably half a dozen items this quarter that fall into the weak, bad, or ugly category. Um, so they're definitely trying to set this up as as being a uh, uh, as being a tough quarter. Um, again, it's. Uh, I, I, I worry that when you're trying to set things up to be to be bad, are you going to somehow undermine things yourself? Are you setting up the expectations um, such that, you know, the revisions are undone by the expectations that the buy side has? Um, and we'll have to see. The stock, though, has been, you know, kind of range bound since uh, since March. Um, and uh, it, it is definitely going to be a bad quarter. They're going to um, report a profit of, sorry, I missed my numbers here. They uh, of $3.16 is what is expected. That would be down from $7.73 last quarter. So you have to think that any beat would probably be good news. You know, to me, this is an opportunity to start looking for what could go right. 
because this is not a company that's going to stay in the mud forever. And when things go really badly, you look for where they could turn around. It's an opportunity. Right. And they're already starting to, to make some changes. Um, we saw some, they're, they're pulling back on that, the retail operations that they had tried to make a big move into. Um, and it, it didn't seem to be going well. And so they're trying to reverse course on that. And we'll see how that goes as well. Right. Right. There are a lot of levers to pull. So here's a company in more shape than Goldman, at least from a stock market perspective, and that is Charles Schwab. Also, we should remind people, no matter what else Schwab does, it is a bank. The company reports on Tuesday. What are we going to learn from Schwab? I mean, that, that that is absolutely right. We forget that it really is a bank. You know, it's it, it's an online broker. That's that's its real, you know, the business, the activity that happens. Um, but they make... Uh, a lot of their money by having just cash sit there um, right. and, um, and that's what people are going to watch uh, what's been happening is that uh, investors that had their money in Schwab they were letting it sit in these accounts these sweep accounts that paid very little interest and as with other banks as soon as rates hit four percent people started moving that money out and that was a real problem for Schwab and it caused a, a lot of worries and so it's down 30 um, percent this year um, it has bounced back a bit since uh, in the last three months. Uh, it's up 15%. Um, but now everyone is looking at whether these, this cash sorting has is coming to an end. Um, they need that to, to happen. They need to show that their margins are stabilizing. The net interest uh, margin is going to stabilize and that people can start focusing again on this other business of, uh, of trading and all that other kind of stuff. Um, and there are some people who are very bullish on it. Um, they think that the long-term business is good, but even the bulls um, are, uh, are are a bit negative. I think it was uh, Raymond James uh, today had a note, or, or recently had a note that uh, they they lowered uh, their uh, their earnings estimate uh, by four cents. They're now expecting seventy cents, but they did keep the full year estimate the same. They think that'll all be made up. Um, but I think that's what you have to to see is that uh, Schwab is going to Schwab letting people know that uh, they have uh, they're coming to the end of this problem with cash sorting. Um, and I think with the 50 percent rally since uh, it's around the last uh, um, report, um, I think they, they better show that that's the case. All right. That'll be an interesting one to watch. So two of the nation's biggest airlines also report this week, United on Tuesday and American on Wednesday. Travel has been gangbusters this year, as you know, if you've flown any place. And the stocks are flying high as well. Can we say the same about second quarter earnings for these companies? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I think we can. Um, no, Delta had fantastic earnings and the expectations from uh, both American and United are for uh, huge gains there as well. Um, American Airlines is going to more than double. Um, United Airlines is supposed to see um, their earnings go up. Uh, you know, it's going to be about two and a half times it was last year. Um, it's so again, the, the, the big thing for these guys is they've gone up a lot. Um, both stocks are um, up uh, over 40% this year. Um, and so you've got to, you, you have to keep the, the positive commentary going. Um, it's uh, the one that I think is most interesting is City, um, or, or sorry, is, uh, is United Airlines. I was reading a, a City note um, uh, that was talking about two things. One is the, uh, there was an agreement that United had with its pilots um, that looks like it's going to raise um, pay some for some of them as much as 40 percent. Um, it actually um, it, no one knows quite the, 
the details on it all, but um, they do, they, you know, they think that the uncertainty around it will, will work out okay. Um, the other side of things is that uh, the um, city city points out that uh, United Airlines has had problem had had those cancellations earlier um, this quarter um, that uh, more than others that uh, may actually impact the results this time around. They're still very positive on the stock, though. They just think it's one of the best possession U.S. carriers in terms of the international tickets um, and things like that. And you know, it seems like the analysts covering the stocks are very bullish that travel is going to continue. And that these companies uh, will be able to continue to make more money, um, you know, serving uh, serving passengers uh, than they have in the past, and, and we're, we're finally seeing the travel um, numbers and the passenger numbers, at least at the, uh, um, you know, going through security. Those numbers are back to where we were before COVID, and so that's all a great sign. If you're ending up with, you know, more passengers and more profitability, um, you're in a good position. Just remember, we thought these companies were going to go out of business during COVID. Yep. So quite a turnaround. Yeah, they effectively did. So I'm going to leave aside Netflix and Tesla because I think we're going to talk about them on tomorrow's call with Eric Savitz. But I wanted to ask you about AT&T and Verizon. Both, um, both companies have been hit by an excellent investigative series in our sister publication, The Wall Street Journal. They've been writing about the tragic health issues caused by the company's legacy of lead use in their wiring. And the stocks have sunk. We'll, we'll leave the investigation to the journal. We'll deal with the stocks. The stocks have sunk. The dividend yields have soared. These are widely held stocks. What do the revelations mean, do you think, for investors? I mean, it's it's a real issue because these are... Um, you know, these are stocks that don't need this problem right now. No, no, they certainly um, have enough other ones. You know, that's uh, the, the, the biggest issue here is nobody knows the, the, the size of the, the issue in dollar amounts. And we see this with uh, so many others that it's the problem in, um, in, in understanding what the potential liabilities are, are the things that cause the stocks to get hurt. Um, and so, you know, we saw that with 3M because they had these liabilities with forever chemicals and uh, uh, this ear protection that uh, they had made for the military that uh, I guess um, had some issues with it. Um, and you saw it, you know, whenever you do have these uh, legal liabilities that uh, you can't quantify, the market seems it has to um, really take the, the worst case scenario because it just doesn't know. And I think that's what you're seeing play out with these stocks, because the worst case scenario is that uh, they, they don't have a lot of room for error in terms of the amount of debt that they have. And the um, you know, they pay these large dividends. And so are they going to have to cut dividends if there's uh, liabilities for cleanup um, in order to be able to pay both their debt and do the cleanup work? It, it's just there's a lot of unknown there. Um, and so you're just seeing them get hit very, very hard. Um, I, I think there will be opportunities there at some point. I just don't know if, uh, you know, Wall Street does have that that old saying, don't catch a falling knife. And these things, uh, particularly AT&T, and unfortunately, you know, we had, uh, we, we picked uh, um, Frontier Communications. We knew about this issue. We thought that it had, um, with the, the recent drop, because I felt something along the lines of 12% uh, on Friday, we thought that was uh, fairly priced into the stock. Uh, clearly, it's not because it's down another 14 today. Um, and, you know, that you don't want to catch a falling knife. And so I think there will be opportunities here, but it, we want to wait for them to settle out a bit. Fair enough. 
All right, I wanna get to some listener questions. We've had quite a few. We've got a couple of questions about Russia pulling out of the Black Sea wheat trade agreement and what this could mean for commodities, in particular grain. Darian asks, will commodities be hot again since Russia pulled out of the deal? Um, It's definitely a risk. Um, We've seen um, grain prices have been rising um, even before this. And I think that, uh, you know, there's there's a chance that uh, this could, um, though, you know, actually, I'm pulling up a chart of wheat right now. Wheat has bounced off its lows, but uh, after a big move early this morning, it's uh, pulled back quite a bit. Um, and so I, I think it, it remains to be seen. Um, you know, the, the world has been very good at adapting to all these issues. Um, oil has been fascinating because, um, you know, Russia has managed to sell oil to places like India and China. And so oil prices have fallen a lot and haven't been the issue that they were early in that run. And it's very possible that, uh, again, the world figures out how to manage this stuff um, without it becoming too big a problem. But I think if it, you know, the the worst case scenario is you get these grain prices go up, food prices go up. And yes, it becomes another um, part of the inflation issue um, that makes the Fed have to raise rates more or stay high for longer. All right, not what we need. Um, Robert asks also about the war. Do you see the Ukraine-Russia war playing a bigger economic role in the year ahead? Uh, I I just not enough of an expert. If it stays the way it is, like this kind of uh, stalemate almost between the two sides that hasn't spilled out to the rest of the world, probably not. I think that the big risk is um, the things that uh, we don't want to think about regarding, you know, does something happen with uh, one of like Ukraine's uh, nuclear reactors or does this somehow spill into a broader conflict in Europe? Then, you know, you have to think that uh, it it becomes terrible for the economy and becomes terrible for the world. It's the kind of things that, you know, I try not to think about too much, partially because it's unquantifiable. Exactly. You can't, you know, when it comes to the markets, at least the markets only, you know, they they, they have a hard time pricing things that you can't predict um, very easily. And so maybe you get a little bit of a risk premium in. Um, it's one reason, for instance, that, you know, Taiwan, uh, Taiwan stocks trade cheaper than uh, um, than similar companies elsewhere is because you always have this risk of a a Chinese invasion, but you'd never know how it's going to go. So you put in a little bit of a a discount on the PE and you go on your on your way. Um, And and so a lot of these questions are just so hard to to answer that, uh, you know, unless you are a, you know, someone whose job it is to actually follow these things and have opinions on it, I think it's just really hard to quantify. And an opinion is just an opinion (laughs) until there's some are more informed than others. Right. Right. But things like this, who knows? But um, certainly on the list of things investors are thinking about. Very much so. So Angela asks, how do you see the second half of the year faring relative to the first? Um, I I don't think it's going to be as good as the first. Um, You know, the the first was, uh, you know, it caught a lot of people flat footed, including myself, um, with just... uh, you know, a, a lot of us were convinced that uh, you were going to get a recession, that uh, you will get a bounce, but another 
um, but, but another pullback. And that didn't happen. And what you're seeing now is that um, a lot of the bears are, are finally capitulating. The, the losses, uh, you know, if you were, the, the gains you've given up if you were bearish are just too large. And so- All those you, hedge funds that put on short positions are- really and, and they're losing money. And if you weren't buying stocks, you, you know, if you're a fund manager who was convinced that it was bearish, you were holding a large cash position and you were buying defensive stocks, well, you were underperforming by a lot. And so there is starting to be capitulation by um, strategists um, on Wall Street, um, many have given in and gone to more bullish positions. Others, you can start to see it happening in their writing. You can see them wrestling with, oh my gosh, do I have to do it here? Um, and but I, but I think part of that is what that means is that the, the easy money from this rally has been made. Um, but it's going to probably take a little more work. Um, but it does feel like the market wants to go higher. Like we've seen it, it's this uh, at this 4,500 level in the S&P 500 now. Um, it's the market's not going up big every day um, since it's hit this level. Um, it, it's just trying to. It's just a little bit at a time, and that's kind of what it's. It's just been felt like it's you know keeps bashing through and pushing up a little bit higher. And I think it could be like that for for a bit longer. Um, you know, I'll be keeping an eye on, you know, Barron's went bullish. This is our, uh, we had a cover story by Jacob Sunshine, which uh, I think was pretty well-timed. I can't remember exactly where we, where we were, but I think we've gone up at, uh, around 250 points uh, on the S&P since then. Um, and I think we'll go up, uh, you know, higher uh, over the next uh, couple months. Um, and we'll be keeping an eye to see uh, if there's any reason to change that. Um, but I wouldn't expect it to be as good. But I expect it to be pretty decent. Especially if the market broadens out beyond the big seven yeah. stocks. Yeah, so that, that makes it that makes it harder to have the same kind of gains. You know, if the, the gains are coming from smaller stocks, you know, more of them have to go up to get the same kind of lift as you do from those big seven. And that's, you know, one reason why you, you probably won't see that kind of huge gain again. But uh, I, I think there's room for more upside. It's kind of a structural reason. Yeah. So let's close with a look at the consumer. The consumer has been extremely resilient this year. Retail sales are due out tomorrow. The number looks pretty good compared to the prior month. Tell me a little bit about that. What can we expect from retail sales and what, is, what do the numbers mean? Well, it's supposed to go up 0.5% and that would be up from a 0.3% rate in, in May. Um, it's just, I think this has been one of the biggest questions. I asked our retail uh, reporter, um, uh, Sabrina Escobar, you know, why are, why are the consumers so strong? And her answer was, that's what everybody's trying to figure out. Um, interesting. Well, they have money. Well, exactly. They have money. They have money. Um, and actually, we have a great article from um, in, from our commentary team, uh, led by Matt Peterson today, about um, the uh, the fact that consumers just don't have the same amount of debt that they did before the pandemic, and that's probably helping things as well. It's helped them, you know, as they start getting squeezed a little bit by inflation. Well, you know what? They're getting raises. Uh, everybody's employed. Um, 
and uh, you know they, they they can take on a little debt with their credit cards now because they didn't really have much and so it, it allows them to keep spending and it really it's one of those things that has helped um i think the economy remain resilient uh, it's probably one of the reasons the market's going up and um it's probably also the reason that the fed is so focused on the job market because without i think weakness in the job market you probably don't get a pullback in, in spending because it's easy to to you feel comfortable taking on a little bit of debt if you know you have a paycheck coming um, and you can sort of factor that all into your paycheck. Um, and so I think all those things factor into it. And it really is uh, kind of amazing just to, to watch uh, so many people be wrong about the, the consumer. You know, we've heard so much uh, in the way of just, oh, they're running out of money. They, you know, this, they can't keep doing this. And they just keep chugging along. You know, it's been a great year for investors and a humbling year for forecasters. Absolutely. So let's leave it there, Ben. Thank you so much for joining me today. Always good to catch up. Thanks a lot. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in today and thanks for your questions. Tomorrow on Barron's Live, Barron's Associate Editor for Technology, Eric Savitz, will speak with Ted Mortensen, Managing Director and Technology Desk Sector Strategist at Baird, They will discuss the outlook for second quarter tech earnings. So you'll get a lot more earnings news tomorrow. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. Stay well and have a good day.